Hello, and welcome to episode number 44 of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, I am your host, Exoacadamian. Just as someone interested in matters such as the UFO phenomenon and the so-called paranormal aspects of reality begins to conclude that these topics will always remain on the very fringes of both our collective radar and our collective curiosity, a startling piece of news comes to the fore, demonstrating that, as painstakingly slow as it may feel to those of us deeply invested in these matters, the collective imagination does eventually come around, finally entertaining and investigating these fascinating dimensions of reality. Such news emerged with fresh, startling clarity in recent weeks with the publication of a trailblazing new book titled Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, an insider's account of the secret government UFO program. The book, penned by James Lekatsky, Combe Kelleher, and George Knapp, details a truly groundbreaking program known as OSAP, the Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Applications Program, that approached the topic of UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, with a refreshingly broad lens, recognizing the uncanny but unmistakable connection between the UFO phenomenon and what has come to be referred to as high strangeness or the paranormal. It is one thing for a forward-thinking private think tank or some paradigm-challenging corner of academia to explore these matters. It is something else entirely for an official government body to do so. And yet, this is exactly the story we learn about in this book. The DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, steered $22 million in taxpayer funds towards precisely this endeavor. And as is stated in the book, quote, OSAP personnel chose to launch the UAP program with as broad a scope as possible and to, quote, research paranormal phenomena that co-locate with UAPs and to examine psychic effects in UAP witnesses in addition to scrutinizing the core UAP technology itself, unquote. While this broad-reaching net was as ambitious as it was unorthodox, to say the least, Ultimately, the data it produced proved revelatory. And while the program seemingly opened up more new questions than it ever managed to answer, the findings are nevertheless essential because they help to define the direction such research needs to take in the months and years to come. It should not be surprising, however, that so many new questions emerged at the culmination of the OSAP program because ultimately these findings point towards the undeniable necessity to expand our current model of reality. But what were these revelations and what do they hint towards in regards to the very fabric of what we call the real? These are precisely the matters we'll seek to engage with in this, the 44th episode of the Point of Convergence podcast. As we begin this week's episode, I would just like to point out that this is part two of a two-part series covering this book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. If you haven't yet listened, I would suggest you go back to last week's episode, episode 43, where we discussed this book from the beginning. Now, as we made note of in the introduction, this book is all about a program called OSAP, whose mission it was to identify and investigate the threat potential of UAP. 
While part of the investigation involved events at Skinwalker Ranch, which we discussed in detail last week and we'll touch on again this week, it's important to remember that UAP were the focus of this particular program. And I want to quote from the book where it discusses this. Quote, OSAP was conceived as a program to evaluate the threat potential of UAPs. BAS was an organization specifically created to execute the OSAP contract to evaluate the threat potential of UAPs, unquote. Now, tellingly, this description of the mission of the program certainly flies in the face of what we had been told by personnel briefing the media regarding the purpose of this program. We had been told it was primarily about studying technology of a next-gen variety, with the implication being that it was Earth tech, in other words, foreign adversaries tech, and that kind of thing. But again, it's very clear this study, this investigation, this entire program was about UAPs, the threat potential of UAPs, period. Quoting from the book again, this is discussed even further. Quote, this was a UFO program, period. That was its perfect purpose from the start, says Lekatsky. And furthermore, this was about how UFOs might fit into the realm of what we might consider the paranormal. Lekatsky believed then, as now, that a study focused solely on UFOs, on various unknown nuts and bolts type craft flitting around in the skies over military bases and facilities, would never get to the heart of a much larger and complicated mystery, where he was quoted as saying, you're going to be hunting for aliens cruising by from now until doomsday and you are never going to solve anything, unquote. Now at this point, it should be clear that the purview of this program went well beyond just sightings in the sky, just the study of the objects or phenomena manifesting in the sky. It also extended to an investigation of the paranormal effects that were associated with UAP slash UFOs. Now, of course, the literature behind the UFO phenomenon and boots on the ground studies done in the past certainly support this purview, certainly support this notion that this is somehow correlated, if not connected. But as is often the case, personal experiences also fed into this. And even someone like James Lekatsky, who's been relatively silent about his role in this program up until the publication of this book, had a personal experience that predated this study and that influenced him and opened his mind to these greater possibilities. This is what the book has to say about that particular event. Quoting from the book, quote, On July 26, 2007, Lekatsky and Robert Bigelow flew to Vernal, Utah, the nearest airport to the ranch that could accommodate Bigelow's private jet. Within an hour of landing in Vernal, both men were walking on the property. The ranch looked its finest on this beautiful July day. The Russian olives and cedars were in full bloom, and the pastures were looking their verdant best. Bigelow and Lekatsky sauntered on the property for a short while and then headed for the nearest building. At the end of the entrance to the ranch was a small, picturesque dwelling which had been named Homestead One. It housed Jean and Richard Dietz, a husband-wife team who had diligently managed the ranch property on Bigelow's behalf since 1999. Bigelow introduced Lekatsky to the managers in the dining room slash kitchen of their house, which they had lovingly upgraded into a comfortable two-person home. 
Abruptly, Lekatsky was transfixed by something behind where Bigelow and the couple were chatting. An unearthly technological device had suddenly and silently appeared out of nowhere in the adjacent kitchen. It looked to be a complex, semi-opaque, yellowish, tubular structure. Lekatsky said nothing, but stared at the object, which was hovering silently. He looked away, looked back, and there it still was. It remained visible to Lekatsky for no more than 30 seconds before vanishing on the spot. About two hours later, after they had arrived on the property, Lekatsky and Bigelow were driving back to Vernal Airport. Although conversing normally with Bigelow, Lekatsky's mind was racing. Here he was, a ballistic missile physicist, a senior analyst at the DIA, without any history of encountering anomalies, and he had just seen a vision unlike anything he had ever witnessed in his life. Lekatsky confessed later that prior to that stunning vision, he had never seen anything unusual in his life. Yet within a mere 60 minutes of being on the Skinwalker property, he had seen clearly in broad daylight a technological device in the adjacent room within a few feet of where he stood. This was no blurry photo of a distant saucer in the sky. This was an in-your-face, up-close-and-personal apparition of some kind of technology. The fact that he, and he alone, of the four people in the room had seen it was also not lost on Lekatsky. Unquote. Now, that was certainly a very bizarre and intriguing experience. By the way, if you're curious about what that looked like, that figure that appeared in three dimensions in the middle of the air to just Lekatsky, you can look up the album cover for an album called Tubular Bells. Apparently, that's very close to what Lekatsky saw that day. Now, what's interesting here is it's almost like the trickster is arising on the ranch again. By trickster, I mean the second you have one idea, some notion, some hypothesis that's building to describe what's going on, something gets thrown into the mix that seems like a wrench. It seems to undo the progress you had been making in trying to make sense of what was going on. Last week, we discussed many incidents that involved fear being induced, sometimes even terror, in people on the ranch. In this particular case, though, this was a very different experience. This was more of a fascinating encounter that Lekatsky had. He didn't feel dread. He just felt wonder, surprise, and shock, really, that this three-dimensional object had suddenly manifested in midair and that he was the only one that saw it. Again, this is a key aspect of this phenomenon. Individual people can have certain visions broadcast to them. Now, again, the question that we posed last week is applicable here. Since Lekatsky was the only one that saw this, does this mean this was a vision broadcast into his perceptual apparatus, or was this something that was manifesting in the 3D world? The context suggests perhaps the former is the case, but again, it's hard for us to know. Now, speaking of different experiences that people have on a place like Skinwalker Ranch, it should be noted that there is a reflective aspect to this phenomenon. This has been noted time and time again, and there are some who would suggest that Part of the reason why so many of the negative experiences that this particular crew had on the ranch has to do with the fact that this was a military program, that while it was supposedly looking into threats of UAP, 
There is always the possibility, of course, that the military may learn about a new technology and then turn around and try and weaponize it. This has been known to be the case in the past, certainly might have happened here. And so for some, they would argue that the reason why these people are having negative experiences, fearful experiences, aggressive encounters, because this program was a military endeavor, and therefore this kind of thinking was reflected back to them. There is this reflective nature to this phenomenon. That said, as much as that is true, that there is definitely a reflective aspect to this phenomenon. And as I've said many times, what we bring to these experiences seems to prime the experience and that gets fed back to us in some way. But that said, I would also point out that I personally know of people who have approached Skinwalker Ranch with a spirit of curiosity, nothing more than that. They were not part of a military program who also felt this sort of nameless dread come over them. So I don't think it's as simple as this was a military endeavor and that's why they had this aggressive negative experience there. That may be part of it though. And we should remember that the reflective aspect is a key aspect of this phenomenon, even though it may not explain the totality of the experiences people have. Now, up until this point, much of our discussion has revolved around Skinwalker Ranch, but I wouldn't want to give you the impression that this is all this book is about. Again, Skinwalker Ranch is one of many thin places, as I've called them, or window areas, as it's been called by other people, places where an unusual number of these paranormal encounters happen, both with UFOs as well as other anomalous phenomena. I'd like to now move to a section of the book that describes events that happen on a property in Ventura County, California. Quoting from the book, quote, Legal is a small community in Ventura County, California. Immediately following the 4th of July 2009 holiday, all hell broke loose on a 20-acre property in the middle of the township. During this period of high strangeness, four separate witnesses were involved. The Scarsdale family was relaxing out on the porch of their large ranch home on the evening of July 5th. It was approximately 9.20 at night, according to family patriarch Buck Scarsdale, a retired law enforcement detective with approximately 25 years of experience. It was a beautiful evening, he recalled. It was warm, a bright moon. We were on the front porch just sitting around talking. I came into the house to get a cup of coffee and I was walking northwest toward the coffee pot. The kitchen lights were off. I immediately noticed seven huge lights outside. There were just a weird blue that I have never ever seen before. Bizarre. It looked like a new BMW or an LED light magnified by 100. That bright. And so I came in and saw the lights and first thing I'm thinking is, man, that's a lot of lights. Someone is trying to steal my orchard plants. Scarsdale hurried back to the porch and saw that his girlfriend, Joanna Fife, and son Bo were staring at the intense blue lights. Both asked in unison, what are those lights? All seven lights appeared to be stationary and several feet above the ground in their orchard about 500 feet away. There was no sound. A few minutes later, they noticed, as they drove slowly into the area, that all of the lights were gone. They had just vanished. Nobody had seen them blink off, and nobody had seen a large object moving out of the orchard. The Scarsdales were perplexed. Buck later told the Osap Bass interviewers, If it would have hovered and moved away, we would have seen that. 
we would have seen something and we saw absolutely nothing. By now I'm kind of freaked out. There's only one way in this ranch and one way out. They walked cautiously around the area looking for tire tracks or any disturbance. After 10 minutes of searching, all three froze when a loud click broke the silence. It seemed to be very close, but there was no obvious source. What was that? Bo muttered, but received no answer. A second loud click reverberated like a pistol shot coming from dense bushes about 20 yards away. The click did not seem mechanical and was completely different from a branch snapping. It was unlike anything they had heard before. All three were on their hands and knees now, crawling slowly in the direction of the thick bush line. A third click sounded, this time several yards behind them. They later admitted that the hairs were standing on the backs of their necks. They looked behind them but could still see nothing, even with the bright illumination from the moon. Yet another loud click, this time from a different direction. On the fifth click, as if in unison, all three hurried out of there and headed for their vehicle. They had had enough. Back on the porch of their home, Buck got a message from his brother, Roger, that he was on his way over to the property after a social function. Buck was pleased because Roger was by far the most educated in the family, with a doctorate in international law and a slew of other qualifications. Buck knew that Roger was a diehard skeptic, and he was sure that his educated brother would provide a logical explanation for the bizarre events that had happened a few hours previously. Roger arrived at about 10.30 p.m. and listened to his family excitedly recount the happenings of the previous few hours. His first and immediate desire was to revisit the scene, so within minutes, Buck and Roger were walking the 500 feet or so from the porch, slowly towards center of the orchard. Buck and Roger reached the area just before 11 p.m., where the three had heard the mysterious clicking sounds. As they were looking around, Roger saw a silver, gray, and blue flash disappear into an opening in the sky. Roger said in a numbed, deadpan voice, that doesn't happen. Roger stood gazing speechless. Although it happened quickly, Roger later told investigators that the sky, quote, literally opened and a blue flash occurred as an oblong object appeared to enter the opening, which then closed swiftly, unquote. Roger continued looking at the same area of the sky and reported seeing a swirling, bluish, quote, residue. As they walked back in silence, Roger began to talk about wormholes as the closest thing to what he had seen in the sky. Buck was amazed at the change in his brother's demeanor since the event. Buck also noticed that his cell phone had lost its charge. The device remained impossible to charge the following day. Roger later told investigators that it was one of the most amazing things he had ever seen, and when he was recounting the event, he appeared to be completely unnerved by the experience. Unquote. Now again, another fascinating account documented and investigated by the Bass slash OSAP team. Now, several interesting points to make note of. Like we talked about last week, we have something that looks like a portal, or as the brother calls it, a wormhole. That's what he thinks of when he reflects on what he saw. An opening in the sky, but not just that, an oblong object passed out of the sky through that opening. Again, 
Sounds like a UFO encounter. We've heard these kinds of things happen before, including on Skinwalker Ranch, but other places as well. That's why I wanted to bring this particular account to your attention to demonstrate that it's not just Skinwalker Ranch. There are numerous places around the world that seem to have an unusual number of these kinds of occurrences. And as we also should note in that experience, there were electromagnetic effects afterwards, for instance, affecting devices. And as the BASH team finds out, this also ends up affecting their equipment when they try and study the phenomenon when they arrive on the property. Now, I'm about to read from a section of the book that highlights why a program like OSAP is so important for the historical record, because it goes far beyond people recounting their experiences. It goes far beyond witness accounts that are recorded somewhere. The BASH team showed up on location and brought equipment with them, sensors, various methods of gathering data. And because of this, we also have, as part of the historical record, unbiased data recorded from sensors. And that is essential. That helps to corroborate that something is happening in manifest reality in some way, because it's not in this case, just in the consciousness or the perceptual apparatus of the people involved. Clearly, it can't just be that because machines, inorganic technological devices also being affected by this phenomena. And here, I also think it's important to point out that these effects are not random or arbitrary. Rather, it seems apparent that a kind of intelligence is involved. And here I think of comments that were made by Colonel John Alexander regarding what he has experienced with this kind of phenomenon at places like Skinwalker Ranch and elsewhere. He has coined the expression precognitive sentient phenomena. By that, he means this intelligence seems to know beforehand what human beings are going to do and then manipulate the environment in such a way that they're not able to measure what they were hoping to measure. So, for instance, if a video camera is set up to try and record something, this intelligence seems to have the capacity to shut down the recording equipment just before some phenomena manifests. Now, when that happens time and time again, it clearly is not random. It is not arbitrary. It is not a fluke. This is telling us something objective about what is going on here, that there is an intelligence manifesting in the area and it is controlling the phenomena, both the perceptual experience of the individuals as well as what is manifesting apparently in the real world, so to speak. Of course, I'm also reminded of what happened to David Fravor when he, of course, experienced a tic-tac and saw it with his own eyes. Afterwards, if you remember from that famous case, he was radioed about the fact that the Tic Tac had shown up again at their future rendezvous point. In other words, it knew where they were going to go before they even went there. Now, in that case, you could argue that perhaps somehow it intercepted some kind of intelligence and somehow had ascertained what that point was going to be. More likely, it seems like it just seems to know ahead of time what is going to happen. Again, time does not seem to roll out for this intelligence, the intelligence behind the phenomenon, in the same way it does for us. And because of this, it makes it very difficult to study this phenomenon with the usual methods and means of science. It's very difficult to set up an experiment on the property when this intelligence 
can seemingly thwart your efforts in real time. This is something the mainstream scientific establishment is going to have to become familiar with, reckon with, when it comes to actually studying the objectivity of this phenomenon. And now I'd like to quote from this section of the book discussing the research that was done on this property in Ventura County, California, following this account that the Bass team had become aware of. Quoting from the book, quote, The OSAP Bass investigators continued the routine of all-night surveillance each time the Sony HDR SR10 camcorder was deployed in record mode, and each time prior to the night watch, the investigators verified that the camcorder was recording. Then on July 27th at 9 p.m., Investigator 1 noticed the camcorder was not functioning in the record mode. An operational check was conducted, and Investigator 1 alerted his colleagues that the camera had been manually switched from record mode to demonstration mode. The only way for this to happen was for someone to physically switch the setting, and Investigator 1 had been standing within 30 feet of the camera the entire time. As he examined the device for clues to how this could have happened, Investigator 1 noticed that the camcorder had taken a series of photograph-like images portraying unknown, unidentified objects." Unquote. Now, earlier I mentioned battery drainage and that kind of thing, electromagnetic effects that show up after these kinds of experiences. This also happened for the BASH team. And I want to quote from a section of the book that discusses that as well. Again, during this same investigation at this property in Ventura County, California. Quote, The Scarsdale family reported that their cell phones and other equipment were frequently subjected to an unexplained battery drainage, sudden loss of signal, and equipment failure during the periods when anomalies were occurring on their property. The OSAP BASH equipment also experienced several battery drainage and equipment failures on the Lagol property. For example, while attempting to capture in situ soil analysis data with a portable Thermo Fisher Niton X-ray fluorescence and analytical instrument that is capable of recording the quantitative elemental composition of soil, several electronic anomalies occurred. On multiple occasions, the Niton's freshly charged and checked batteries drained abruptly. After multiple failed attempts to recharge the Niton instrument, the soil samples were eventually taken and brought back to Las Vegas for subsequent elemental analysis. Throughout the month of July 2009, all four Scarsdale witnesses reported intermittent unexplained incidents, like hearing the refrigerator door open and close when nobody was in the kitchen doors opening and closing at night when everybody was in bed, and unexplained flashes of light on the property and in the house. Of course, similar low-level poltergeist activity had been a signature of the Skinwalker Ranch phenomena over decades of investigation involving dozens of people." Unquote. Now, because the Bass-slash-OSAP team was investigating such anomalous phenomena, they were wise enough to use every means available to them to try and study it, to try to understand it. This involved techniques such as remote viewing. Of course, the CIA had used remote viewing during the Cold War to try and ascertain targets in the Soviet Union. The program had been very successful and continued for 20 years, in fact. 
And regarding the remote viewing aspect of the study of Skinwalker Ranch, I quote again from the book, quote, It was very fortunate that Bass counted among its ranks of senior advisors none other than Hal Putoff, the father of the CIA's remote viewing program and arguably the world's authority on the development of remote viewing methodology. Putoff's enormous experience in the Stargate and other remote viewing programs, together with an international cadre of collaborators, meant that Bass could jumpstart a remote viewing program with only minimal setup time. From time to time, during the Stargate program, remote viewers had detected exotic events and technologies relevant to the OSAP slash Bass initiative. These included detection of apparent basing facilities for exotic craft, description of apparent exotic craft accidents, and observation of exotic craft surveillance of military targets, the latter correlating with independent national resource records, unquote. Now, of course, we've discussed remote viewing on this podcast before. The psi elements come into this phenomenon as well. Somehow it all seems to be connected somehow. It's revealing something fundamental about reality. Now, during previous podcasts, I've also mentioned the figure of Joseph McMonagall, who is one of the most famous and successful of the remote viewers employed by the U.S. government. Now, during this investigation, in 2010 to be specific, McMonagall was invited to remote view the property, Skinwalker Ranch. And this is what the book has to say about that event. Quote, In March 2010, Joseph McMonagall, one of the premier remote viewers in the U.S., was asked to observe a target designated as 22610 using traditional blind targeting protocols. 22610 was actually Skinwalker Ranch. Blind targeting protocols mean he had no knowledge that the ranch was his target. As expected, McMonagall's sketch of the Skinwalker Ranch, description of the environment, animals present, and characteristics of the two ranch managers and two security guards were excellent. But he indicated that a fifth individual was also present. McMonagall described a male, 60 to 70 pounds, with a height of 4'3", with no hair. Age was not able to be determined. Exact physical features were unclear, as opposed to those of the managers and guards. McMonagall said that the fifth individual could not be seen by ranch personnel, but did attempt test communications with them to see their response." Unquote. So that is a fascinating account. Again, McMonagall has had remarkable success with remote viewing. And again, as was highlighted in that section, to be clear, the remote viewers are not aware of their target. They have no knowledge of it at all. They are basically given coordinates or something like that. And then they just use that to access this imagery beyond time and space, seemingly. And what we're being told here is that in addition to being able to sketch a remarkably accurate illustration of the grounds and the people present, McMonagall also picked up another figure that was short, 60 to 70 pounds, hairless. Sounds a lot like a gray alien, of course. Very intriguing, very fascinating, 
and the fact that McMonagall gave such an accurate portrait of the area and of the people present gives us high confidence that his viewing of this other being that was not visible to those present is very likely accurate as well. So at this point, to those of you who are regular listeners to the Point of Convergence podcast, it should be clear why I am so excited about this program and about the fact that these investigations, this research, has now been committed to the historical record. Because I think it adds strong credence to the notion that all of this is connected, that UFOs slash UAP are not distinct from paranormal phenomena or other elements of high strangeness, and that because of that, these phenomena should be studied as one field of inquiry. That's exactly what the Bass slash OSAP team did, and for that, I applaud their efforts. Now, in today's podcast, we discussed events not just at Skinwalker Ranch, but also at a completely different location in Ventura County, California, on the Scarsdale property. We demonstrated how an intelligence seems to be operating and is responsible for this phenomenon, and that that objective reality seems to be supported by sensor data as well as witness accounts. Now, there are many other interesting, fascinating, in fact, accounts depicted in this book. I highly recommend you read it, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. It's a breathtaking read, and it's an essential contribution to the literature of the UFO phenomenon. And now I'd like to leave you with a few concluding thoughts. Firstly, one can't help but wonder how much further along we'd be in understanding the connection between UFO sightings and subsequent paranormal activity if embarrassment and a desire to be taken seriously by the mainstream hadn't led investigators to withhold information in many reports over many, many decades. Finally, let us be clear. As revelatory as this book and its discussion of the Bass-slash-OSAP investigations are, this ultimately should serve as a first step, the result of which is a reorientation outlining a new trajectory of research. Because the truth is, our greatest obstacle to understanding the true nature of the UFO phenomenon and the so-called paranormal in general is not the resistance mounted by those in government and deeply black private industry who wish to keep this cosmic mystery a secret, but rather our woefully incomplete current model of reality and our sheer prevailing collective lack of curiosity. I would suggest it is time to trade the illusory, safe feeling of certitude that we've held onto in the modern world for an adventurous embrace of the vast depths of the unknown, to the exploration of territory that is as mysteriously deep within each of us as it is unfathomably vast in the skies above our heads. And on that note, we've come to the close of another edition of the Point of Convergence podcast. If you'd like to support this show, I now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash exoacadamian. But until next time, friends, from deep within the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, this is Exoacadamian signing out.